On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Michael Monahan. And again, this is going to sound cliche, but it's just absolutely true. We're very user-driven when we think about how we build product. Um, so we listen to our current and prospective users very deliberately. And so for us to invest in an area, we'll, we'll really, you know, we want to have a belief that we think it's an interesting product. This is part two of our interview um, with the Beartooth folks, Michael Monahan, CEO and founder of Beartooth. If you didn't listen to part one, please go back and, and hear all about it. Um, Michael, in the first interview, in the first half of the interview, we talked about um, so many different things. Um, I'm interested, though, as you look at the future of Beartooth, you, you've, you've eaten the glass and stared into the abyss, and now you have a product that's actually sellable, right? So where do you see where do you see going from here as you've conquered so many challenges just to get to here? Yeah, so I think we've got a lot of runway. I mean, people, you know, the one statistic I always love to remind people is that even though 99% of the population is covered, 30% of the United States landmass and 50% of the global landmass still is not covered with some type of wireless connectivity. So we have a long ways to go covering that. Um, we've got some neat stuff on the horizon um, as far as um, building uh, what we call not only mobile, but portable and even disposable because they're so low cost. So we, we allow uh, an area to build a pot- mobile, portable, disposable network. Um, so we'll be doing more of that. You'll see some new products from us in that area. The other thing that we've done is really built um, Beartooth as a networking standard. Um, And so you'll see other products beginning to incorporate our networking layer. Um, I think it's been publicly, uh, it has been publicly announced. I was at the announcement, but uh, Sonam, the ruggedized cell phone manufacturer, is now embedding the Beartooth networking layer into their ruggedized, uh, both their XP8 smartphone and their XP5 feature phone. So uh, those uh, smartphones will now connect. off the grid using our networking layer and be interoperable with any other Beartooth enabled device. Um, and we've got a couple of other partnerships in the hopper that are not announced yet, but you'll see multiple consumer electronics devices that are now using Beartooth as a connection layer. Um, and the reason that connection layer needs to exist is, you know, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi just, you know, can't provide the distance uh, that some of these off-network devices uh, need, and it's really a, a, a big vacuum that we've filled. Yeah. So I guess if anybody didn't catch part one of the interview, um, we should cover, you know, Beartooth. Uh, give, give us the 30-second of what Beartooth is for anybody who didn't catch the first half of the interview. 
Yes, so Beartooth allows your smartphone to talk, text, and send positional location even in areas without cell service or Wi-Fi. So we're creating our own network layer um, using a 900 megahertz lower radio. Okay, so thanks for covering that. So thinking about, you know, you guys have already come up with something you know, pretty awesome that, that you've had, you know, very well responded, both, you know, the outdoor folks, law enforcement, um, military, um, when it comes to inventing the future and, and dealing with the risk of the unknown of, of all the different things that could happen or somebody who gets there first or all these different things. Um, what is, uh, what's kind of some of your guiding principles as you think about where to invest your your time and your your dollars at the at the organization like how do you decide okay it's this you know it's this network and by the way i'm assuming that that's for like if you had a race out in the middle of nowhere you guys could put up that network and that helps people communicate is that is that an application for it or what's an application that's exact that's exactly it those are the exact problems we're solving uh for folks right now so how do you what what's your personal barometer for a go no go decision like this is the next thing we should build. Yeah. So we, and again, this is going to sound cliche, but it's just absolutely true. We're very user driven when we think about how we build product. Um, so we listen to our current and prospective users very deliberately. And so for us to invest in an area, we'll, we'll really, you know, we want to have a belief that we think it's an interesting product that it solves uh, need for end user, and we really look for demand signal. And so, demand signal for us is is a user group telling us they want to pay for the product. So, you know, we really the first product we ever built, we you know we sort of conceived and ideate, ideated and executed on a, what I would call speculative basis. We uh, you know crowdfunded, and we were super fortunate to do you know several million dollars in crowdfunding on our product. So that was the market telling us that that was something they wanted. But generally now when we invest dollars um, or and time, which are basically the same thing in a startup, um, we're seeing a pretty strong demand signal, which is either a customer telling us they're going to buy something or, or, or it's usually they're buying it from us or they're about to buy it from us. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds so simple, but how often have all of us talked ourselves into a great idea rather than like really, <laughs> really validated that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, you know, the, again, the term that gets overused is product market fit, but you can, uh, you know, one of the guys I worked with um, that helped us a lot is one of our investors. And I think in the first program you kind of asked, who do, who do you really listen to? And we never really got to that, but the, one of the best product guys I, that I've ever met is Nick Evans from tile. Um, and obviously tile was a resounding success and, and, um, and Nick's just incredible about thinking about how to build a great product. And so I think you get excited the first time you're going to build something, you just go guns blazing, you start building it. And, and that causes you to have a lot of problems downstream. And if you slow down and really carefully plan at the beginning, is this a good product? Why is it a good product? Why do people need it? If you slow down on the front end, you can save yourself a lot of pain on the back end. Uh, and I think most everyone has to learn that the hard way. 
You know, the, it's interesting you bring up that principle in our our corporate leadership training, which is kind of the other half of Mylan. Um, it's kind of one of our main principles. The guy, one one of the guys on our team, twenty five year FBI hostage negotiator, he uh, he had us rename our process is just a three step process that we're teaching. And uh, he made us rename the middle step to slow down <laughs> because he felt like that was like such a key to his successes in hostage negotiating. Uh, but you don't hear that a lot of places. I'd, I'd love to hear more about your your thoughts on the value of slowing down because it sounds like the opposite of efficiency, you know? Uh, yeah, it's you just it's just critical. Um, it slowing down. What is it? Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Um, <laughs> it just rushing causes too many downstream mistakes, which ultimately slow you down. You know, I guess it's the carpenters measure twice, cut once. I, I wish I could give you a, a, a better explanation of, of why it's so critical, but it's just, it's something that um, after you touch the hot stove a few times, you realize maybe you don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> pain, pain is a pain is a good teacher. Wish you didn't have to go through it so much. Um, so, you know, changing direction just slightly here. Um, when you think about creating the right product, slowing down, doing the right thing, specifically in the the outdoor and the action sports arena, you know, it's it's such a cool place to be doing business. You know, there's so many folks, there's so many of my buddies that we still want to own a snowboard company or we still want to own a, whatever it was that we had our, our bedroom walls completely wallpapered with as 14 year olds, you know? Um, which makes me think that, you know, there can be, you know, you look at like the entertainment industry where people lose sight of economics just because they want to be in entertainment so bad, right? Everybody's working as a waitress trying to get a job in, in entertainment when you think about marketing to specifically action sports and the outdoor world, what's, what's some of the, what's some of the lessons or what's some of the stoves you touched or what's some of the advice you'd have for somebody else who wants to be in, in outdoor action sports? Hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's such a broad category. It's hard to, probably going to be hard to comment you know because very... let's, let's say backcountry let's pull it down to backcountry backcountry enthusiasts you would think this is going to work but that's not how it actually works in the real world well and, and also you've got to it's so different between soft goods and electronics and meals i mean there's a, a it's such a you know I, I think it's a good question but it's a it's a hard one to answer. I'm trying to think if there's any lessons we learned. I mean, my, my joke would be, you know, it's, if you want to stop doing things, if you want to stop doing outdoor activities, start an outdoor company because you'll be too busy. To do <laughs> um, okay. so I, I think, I, I think that would be, that would, no, that would be one serious lesson is that, yeah. is that you, you, you may spend a lot of time actually building your product and executing your product versus getting out. But yeah, it, it's, it's fun. You know, we, you know, we, we have some really, we're really fortunate in a couple of our, you know, expert test testers are a lot of fun. You know, Scott Schmitz helped us out on the skiing side. So, you know, you get to go bounce around and, and try and keep up with Scott, which is absolutely impossible. Uh, Conrad Anchor has helped us a little bit um, on the climbing side. So, you know, get out and, and try and do a little ice climbing with Conrad. And, uh, you know, so those, those, that is that is fun to do that kind of stuff, but I, I think that people need to be prepared that that most of your time is actually 
that's my warning is that that most of your time is focused on on building the product. Um, I, I think that we were fortunate to not really make any massive marketing errors. Um, you know, we didn't overpay a celebrity. Maybe we were too cautious and haven't engaged with um, down that channel as much as we could have. Um, I got some really great um, uh, free advice from uh, Jeb Corliss's manager. Um, he he was super cool about walking me through how and where to use, uh, you know, action sports guys and how to use them. And so I, I think we probably got really fortunate in that we got a lot of really good advice between Jeb's team, Scott's team, and Conrad. Yeah. Well, thinking about that marketing angle, for, for somebody like yourself, can you tell us what you feel like the advantages were starting with Kickstarter versus just, you know, trying to launch at a trade show or or what you think like the other options are for people who maybe they haven't raised money yet, but they're trying to get enough attention and, and, you know, market validation to be worth raising the money. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for drilling down. Um, so, so we did do a crowdfunding campaign. Ours was white label. Uh, all that means is rather than doing it on say Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you host it on your own website. Um, and I think the real advantage of that is, uh, market awareness. So we, 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 we designed a couple really good, um, uh, uh, Facebook ads. We got help. We were fortunate. There's a, a very good photographer from New York city named Greg Delves, who did this as a passion project. And if you're, your listeners kind of look up Greg. Greg's probably the number one fashion photographer in the world. And he shot for all the major CE companies and we're buddies because we both like to surf. And so he made these beautiful images for us that were so captivating that they actually had really good conversion on Facebook. And so we spent a lot of paid advertising to generate demand. Um, and what was really good about that is it exposed us to just all kinds of people. So that same guy that's going snowboarding on the weekend with Beartooth, he's a search and rescue guy, or he's a New York firefighter, or he's a, you know, he's in the army. And so the crowdfunding campaign for us was really just a, a giant marketing campaign that proved that people wanted the product, but also allowed us to get massive amounts of exposure without, um, paying for it. I mean, we, every sale we made was actually net income positive. Um, I was just maniacal about not, um, having any negative ad spend. Now, again, that's just me conservative. Um, you know, you were talking about my background. I came from a private equity background. I'm a cash on cash guy. I want to know what am I going to get for every dollar I put in? I, I'm sort of the antithesis to the VC crowd. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I should turn it up a little bit, but you know, we've, we've really, that's the other thing I would say we've done with our, with our, um, our innovation and our entrepreneurship that's a little bit different is, is we from day one focused on, on profitability rather than pure growth, which is, you know, I, 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 as you're going to stumble into other, you know, high innovation companies, maybe on the part of the curve we're on or hundred percent focused on revenue growth, where we're pretty focused on generating cash to reinvest into our business. Well, it does have the huge advantage of you will for sure be here next year. 
Yeah, we like that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of amused. I, I won't, I won't name the company cause they're all nice people, but a potential vendor we were going to use in San Francisco, we would go to their offices for lunch and, and I'm not making this up. There would literally be lobsters and shrimp and prime rib falling off their lunch table. I mean, it was just, I can't make this stuff up. They were backed by a you know very famous VC firm. And I remember sitting down with their head of credit and some 20, you know, 22 year old guy it was his first job. And, you know, you, you reviewed sort of my history and finance and we're talking about credit risk. And it was clear this guy knew nothing about credit risk and counterparty risk. And fast forward 18 months, they were out of business, but he was really leaning on us about being a bad counterparty. And I was like, uh, I think you got this wrong, pal. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting world out there. Yeah, no kidding. So yes, to your, to, to your point, focusing on, on being around is, uh, is very good. They can't put you out of business if you're making money. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break from our sponsor here, and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, so Michael, before the sponsor break, we were talking about the crazy idea of having a business that's profitable. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, we, we were talking before the show, you know, my, my last business, we had... Uh, I did a retail fund, so we had almost 1,200 investors in that. And this time, I wanted to see if I could do it with no investors, no partners, and just bootstrap it, you know, at which point yep. profitability becomes very important, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. In in your mind, you, you obviously have the position that you have of of not throwing logic out the window in the name of growth, um, which I, I get the point of, hey, if you can't get market share and uh, and you're you're too busy beating the incumbent because you didn't grow fast enough. It's not like I don't acknowledge the other sides of the argument, but um, but I feel like there aren't enough people arguing for, hey, how about being profitable along the way as well? Um, knowing that you're on this side of the camp with me, what what would be your what would be your additional uh, <laughs> additional reinforcement for the, you know, let's let's make profits now, not just later. I, I think it's, you know, I think you really hit it. If you're, if you're around, you know, it allows you to be around next year. It allows you to control your own destiny. And I think it's reality. I think that there's this, you know, the, you know, the instant success is, is really not true. It's, you know, instant success takes five to 10 years. And so it's just, it's a more realistic business model to find. Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, I'm looking out my window at a bird scooter, and you know what those guys did was phenomenal. You know, they went from, you know, was, I, I think they're the fastest to both a billion and two billion dollar valuation in the history of, 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 you know, innovation. Um, but you know, people need to realize there's one a year, those a year or one a decade, and so your odds of of building a meaningful business. Um, that's actually a, a business generating uh, cash is just, it's more likely not to say that can't be done. Um, those guys did a phenomenal job. Uh, but I think it's, it's more likely that you're going to build a business like you and I are talking about, which is, you know, slow, you know, building profit over time. You know, listen, I, I, like I get that you can't do it everywhere. You know, I, I still think I'm going to go back to finance and maybe start a real estate fund, you know, uh, that's not something that's not a cash business. You know what I mean? Like that's a get investors, take, take debt kind of, kind of industry. Right. But Correct. in the ones that that's not absolutely required, I do, 
you know, I do think that um, it's the upfront pain, the upfront pain of bootstrapping or the un- upfront uncertainty of bootstrapping is my guess at what scares people away, where it feels safer to take investor dollars. And maybe it's just the people don't know the experience of like all that extra pressure when real life happens and there's the bumps in the road, but there's all those, all those extra expectations on top of you. What do you think scares people away from bootstrapping? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would, you know, I would really recommend it. Um, I think that there's certainly times to apply capital. I mean, there's a reason that our system works so well is that, you know, you, you mm-hmm. put capital in the right situation for growth is great. But I think that if you apply capital at the wrong time, it, it doesn't, it creates mistakes and it compounds those mistakes. And so I think that you, you sometimes learn by having no capital. I mean, the, the part of the story that I haven't talked about to you is that at one point in our life, we were going to run out of money in six weeks. Right. And so, you know, we had to really change what we were doing and uh, we learned a lot through that process. And, and we learn a lot by being super, you know, we're very frugal around here. You know, we get a lot done with very little and it's sometimes not having that capital is what teaches you the best lessons. So that's why I would encourage people to wait to take external capital until it, I would almost wait till it's nearly obvious and people and your business is so good that people are coming to want to give you money rather than having to schlep around and ask for money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I it's, mm-hmm. I, people are going to listen to that and say, Oh, you know, I just, I really, I, I pretty strongly believe that. No, listen, we sponsored the show for a long, long time. And we were kind of theirs as well. It was this uh, startup company called Bookly that uh, it was a guy who ran skateboard shops, decided he hated running skateboard. He hated doing the finances so much. He almost didn't want to run his skateboard shops anymore. So he built a backend system that made it easy for regular people to get their bookkeeping done. Right. Yep. And he built it so big that venture capitalists found him. And then this summer KPMG just bought them out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it is, uh, it's really a position where he got to be in the driver's seat, you know? Yeah. Most of the things that are critical on the front end to building a business don't take any money. And that is thinking about what the product is, designing it really well. Pre-sales. Yep. Identify the market, identify the pain, costs you no money to identify a pain point costs you no money to define how you're going to solve that pain point. Um, so there's so much that you can do without a single dollar. That's that, that I would almost argue that throwing, if you're applying money right away, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So, uh, we appreciate all the time you, you spent with us. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, where is, is the website the best place for people to come check out the product? Where's the best place for people to find out about uh, if they if they should be owning some Beartooth units? Yeah, absolutely. The website, just uh, Beartooth.com. Uh, we're also on Amazon. So, you know, if it's easier for people to pick it up off of Amazon, uh, I know it's usually for, easy for me to buy stuff off Amazon. So either way, directly off our website or Amazon are two great ways to check out uh, Beartooth. And I think for we're also... Um, for uh, for our friends up in Western Canada, uh, we're in uh, London drugstores as well. Okay. Beauty. Beauty, eh? Beauty. Um, okay. Thanks again for doing this. 
Great. Thank you. Okay, bye, everybody. Get to Old Navy for star-spangled style. Right now, everything's on sale, up to 60% off. That's right. Get everything from tees, shorts, dresses, and swim, all at 60% off. Now till July 7th at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid through 7-7, select styles only.